This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Opinion Booth. My name is Sonia Booth. Imagine your son being two months premature and neither of the parents having the chance to hold him for the first time at birth as he is taken immediately to NNICU. Imagine him spending months in hospital, being subjected to blood tests almost daily, leading to eight blood transfusions, numerous misdiagnoses to botched operations and procedures. And nearly 15 months later, by divine intervention, you finally managed to get a second opinion. Arrangements are made for an air ambulance to transfer him from a Johannesburg to a Cape Town hospital. Within a few days, he gets a positive diagnosis. He starts making progress, shows improvement, to a point where you start making arrangements and preparations to take him home for the first time in his life, only for you to end up holding your child watching them take their last breath at the tender age of 15 and a half months. His short but entire life spent in hospital. My guest today is a father who bared his soul in a book titled Lessons from a Rainbow Unicorn, a real-life story of a father's loss. Fred Platt, welcome to the Opinion Booth. Thank you, Sonia. This is not going to be an interview. I, it's not going to be an easy one. It's, it, it, it's going to be deep. It's going to be heavy, but it has to be done because it's for a reason. You wrote this book for a reason and we need to do justice to Sam's legacy. Fred, the first thing that normally happens at birth is the gynae or the nurse handing you your child or first to the mother normally that happens because she's 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 earned it she's she's <laughs> the one who's put up with the you know the the labor pains or you know the the cutting from the c-section obviously you don't feel the pain because you're under uh, anesthesia local anesthesia or whatever but normally so the child is taken from the womb in your case a c-section handed to melissa your wife and then to you and you, that first cuddle as a parent is Everything that every parent looks forward to The first thing that they look forward to Now that you know Melissa got that opportunity That must have been disheartening Yeah, it was It was incredibly uh, difficult, you know, looking back At the time, things just happened so quickly uh, We were sitting in theatre uh, Just that morning I'd got a, a call from my wife To say, today you meet your son Um it was two months early and I, I, I didn't anticipate. When we arrived in the, in the theater, two gynees, uh, one arrived and then a senior one arrived. And I think at that point we knew, um, this is, is different. In hindsight now, I know Sam was special. He always had special treatment. But, uh, when they took Sam out, the, uh, pediatrician in, in the theater, just briefly showed him to Melissa, wrapped him in cling foil, and rushed him off. And and my only memory was running behind the uh, trolley, uh, pushing him into 
I see you. Your book is full of goosebump, gut-wrenching moments. But the phone call you received from Melissa at 3 a.m. warning you to make your way immediately to the hospital in Cape Town made my heart sore for you. Because I can only imagine what you were going through. I mean, you were in Joburg at the time when you received the call at 3 a.m. And you rushed to the airport. You got to the airport at 4. Only to wait for the ticket sales office to open at 6. A whole two-hour wait. And ironically, for a two-hour flight. So in that two hours that you had to wait for the ticket sales office to open, you would have been in Cape Town. That must have been the longest two hours of your life. Yeah, I, I think the, you know, it, it, it came off such a, um, of a high because I'd fl- flown up to Cape Town the day before, uh, for some board meetings and, um, we'd actually, we were taking Sam home. Uh, we'd, we'd been given the go ahead that Sam was coming home in a week or t- two's time. We'd been running around Cape Town trying to get apartments to ready that would accommodate him. And I flew back and I still had a, a, a wonderful FaceTime. It was our, our thing. Um, the night before he went to sleep and three o'clock I got that call and it was so almost unreal. It couldn't be. Um, and, and, and just almost mechanically got dressed and, 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 uh, and rushed to the airport only to sit there and wait. Um, and I think this was one of the big things, you know, for me, my son was dying for the rest of the world. Life carried on. And for two hours, I sat there, uh, eventually got a ticket. Um, I, I, uh, went and sat in the lounge and waited. And of course, tears were just streaming down my eyes. Um, but the longest two hours was on the plane because I had no phone. So during that period, I could still talk, but for the two hours that I was on the flight, there was no communication. And I didn't know when I arrived in Cape Town whether Sam was still alive. But he was, and he'd waited for me. Part two of your book. Speaks of the lessons from a rainbow unicorn. The first one, being a dad, in your own definition, what is fatherhood and what did it mean to you? Wow, um, <laughs> unbelievable. Now, you, you got to put it into context. Firstly, I was a confirmed bachelor. I was going to be a bachelor for the rest of my life until I met my gorgeous wife and that changed very quickly Um, and we got married and and then we really battled to have children Um, I wasn't sure that I actually wanted to be a dad I I wasn't convinced you know I I needed uh, I understood all the responsibilities and type of person that thinks through everything you know what and can I be and everything and and then a miracle happened and um, and Melissa was pregnant. And from that moment, my life changed because I was so looking forward to being a dad. And I think the biggest 
moment in my entire life was, and this was after about three months in the hospital, when I could touch Sam for the first time. My life changed. And my purpose on earth became being a dad. And that's and, and and you do mention a number of times in your book that's that you 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 worked very hard for your son and everything and everything you did was for him. Yeah, it it, it becomes that that becomes the purpose. Um, you know, I think you're so selfish and everything is about you and everything is about business and you get caught up in in this entire role play that you do and all of a sudden. Life becomes real. And you assume the most important role in life. Uh, I have my most prized business card just says Sam's dad. And I remember that the, I think the f- first few pages of your book, um, you say, uh, what is my claim to success? And then at the end you say, I am Sam's dad. That's my claim to success. Yeah, I, you know, we were, we were lucky enough to be, or I was blessed and lucky enough to be Sam's dad. Although he was, I am still Sam's dad. You'll always be. I'll always be. And Sam was with us for 15 and a half months, but he taught us so much and he left such an incredible legacy. And the irony was that you, as a father, you were looking forward to teach him life's important lessons, fishing and all of that. But he, the lessons came from him instead. Absolutely. Now, you know, I, I'd made incredible mistakes in my life and I had really made it my life's mission to teach Sam and to help him to avoid all those silly mistakes that I'd made. And so my, my life's ambition from the moment I held him, um, I wanted to teach him, but I became the pupil and he was the teacher. The irony of it all. Exactly. On being human, the second lesson that is. You said the key issue that we endured during the first 15 months of Sam's life was lack of respect and dignity as a family. You dealt with some insensitive, cold-hearted, inhumane imbeciles, which did not help your situation and circumstances. I think I qualified to call them imbeciles. I mean, some of the things, uh, <laughs> the fact that you were considered an inconvenience. I remember the one pediatrician said that in the time that uh, he or she has been with Sam, uh, she would have lost patients at a, at a private practice. <laughs> I, it, it was mind boggling. I had moments, I mean, whilst reading your book where I thought, huh, that's not possible. This person did not say that it's inhumane. Did this harden you in a way or did it make you bitter or angry to a certain degree? Yeah, I, I think your first reaction is, is anger. Um, and you then run the risk of getting bitter or of channeling that anger. Cause I don't think getting angry is bad. Um, 
angry emotions. You know, we so get so divorced from our emotions. One thing Sam has taught me is to connect with who I am. I'm an emotional being. I don't hide it. I'm, it, it is what I am. But in channeling that anger towards making a difference, making sure that no other parents need to go through that, making sure that no other child needs to go through it, Give some purpose. And, and, and so from that perspective, yeah, I, I, I still am angry at times. Um, but hopefully the legacy of Sam will, will prevent me from becoming bitter, a bitter old man and rather a man focused on making a difference. On discovering value, you, you, you raise a poignant societal issue. Absent fathers and those who are physically Present but are emotionally unavailable, emotionally detached, absent minded, and preoccupied. What would you like to say to those type of fathers? I, I would just like to tell them to just stop and just look at what you have around you. The most valuable gift in the whole world. Are your kids, your family. I, I mention in the book that when Sam passed away, I would have exchanged everything I'd, I'd achieved and owned and will own for one more day with Sam. And yet there are fathers that are so caught up in what they're doing and, and, and we justify it to ourselves. We justify that it's in the best interest of our kids and our family and whatever it's not they need you um, and all I can say to you is if I had half a chance to just give my son a hug it would be the most amazing thing in the whole world for me things that some of us take for granted you let your child out of the house in the morning you without even saying good morning to them or you don't even give them a hug and you here you are sitting saying you would give it all just to hug something as simple. I say simple inverted commas, but it's not simple. It's something that to be valued. It, 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 it is where real value lies. Um, and it's something that sadly I never understood um, until I lost it. And hopefully if there are fathers listening, they don't need to get to where I am to regret but they can, they can just be there and, and just spend their time and just engage. On loving thy neighbor, what is the worst thing anyone can say to a parent that has lost a child? The absolute worst thing. <laughs> There's so many. But I think the, the worst thing that you can say to, is to try and justify why they lost their child or there's a reason or whatever because there just isn't there never is and the best thing you can do to is when you're with a, a parent who's lost a child is just to admit that you don't understand and just to be there just to be present and just to say I'm with you 
because that that is it. Uh, you get so many uh, comments about why and how, and Sam's in a better place, and this is it. He's not in a better place. His better place is in my arms. And you, you also mention in your book something which a lot of people do, and I think it's a, it's it's a mindset that needs to change. You mention in your book that. You sometimes hear of uh, people having a conversation that you are getting punished for your past sins, which is, <laughs> it's ridiculous that people think that you have a sick child because you are being punished for your past sins. Yeah. Human beings are disgusting. <laughs> it, 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 it is absolutely bizarre. And, you know, in, in, in a, in a, kind of bizarre way our journey has taught us so much that we can impart on on other people and and you know it is a very very difficult uh thing but you do get people that tell you that you know you don't have enough faith it's it's sins of the past it's uh it's whatever it may be you've been cursed or whatever it is when in fact you know, all we did was was just trust and believe, and 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 just wanted to give our boy the best best possible that we could. There's a lot of people that you describe or make mention of in your book that I would personally have been very happy to go and put in their place because you you you've dealt with some insensitive. People, I mean, I remember the story you related when you were trying to um, get lessons or a demonstration for uh, the, the the hospital bed for your son that you could only have that demonstration in the reception area because the lifts at your apartment did not work. And then you had this bimbo who said to you, I don't care about your son, just finish already. How do you even begin to forgive and ignore such people? Because unfortunately, they do exist amongst us. It's it's bizarre, you know. The incident you're referring to, uh, we had to buy a very special bed for Sam uh, to come home, and this bed uh, we needed to to see a demonstration. But the lifts were <laughs> were not working, and 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 it's a pretty big operation, and they couldn't get it up to the sixth floor. Um, so they they said just a half an hour quickly they'll do it in the in the reception because that was the only place there was power, and uh, the lady in question just said there's no way you know you don't do this in the reception and I tried to explain to her that my son was was really chronically ill and that we were hoping to get him back and that we was at, and we would promised to be just a few minutes and and we try to push it to the side and and the response was well i don't care about your son and i think it 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 kind of struck me that as a society we've actually lost our heart i often use the hashtag you know when sometimes you get people who have who suffer from verbal diarrhea and sometimes they would just Tweet or post uh, like stupid things that reveal how really stupid they are, and I often use the hashtag till it happens to you, and that normally works. You would get somebody tweeting 
why was she wearing a short skirt? Why is she surprised that she got raped? She was wearing a short skirt or she was walking long at night. My only response to such, I don't, I'm, I, I, I was going to swear, but <laughs> let me not because I'm trying to be a lady. I, my resp, I don't, I never say much. I always just hashtag till it happens to you. And normally that gets people to think because sometimes that's all it takes for you to actually put yourself in that person's shoe as inhumane as you might be at the time to think about the fact that it can actually happen to you. But of course we live in a society where people sometimes think they are immune to (laughs) certain things that happen in life, forgetting that this is life and karma is a bitch. I just swore. Sorry. (laughs) Pain brings us together. That's your fifth lesson. You said what I learned in the last week of Sam's life in a strange way was that a person has not fully lived until they have experienced true pain. That is profound. Yeah, you know, Carl Jung said that all life is is tragedy. And if you don't know that, you have not lived. And in a bizarre way, aside opens up to you when you've been through tragedy that that ex- that exposes a part of life which otherwise you would not have have seen and not been able to live and and certainly you would not be able to engage with someone who has been there unless you've been there yourself hmm. lesson 6 lesson number 6 that is our reason for living You said in life, the only thing of true value is our relationships with the people around you and the legacy that you leave behind. You and I and thousands of other people that have followed Sam's footprints know that he will live on and his legacy will continue to thrive. All thanks to the initiatives that you and Melissa have undertaken. Please share on the footprints for uh, footprints for Sam Trust, Super Sam Vehicle, Samuel Generation, and the Samuel Bracelet. Yeah, um, I think when when Sam, I made two promises to Sam while he was alive. The one was early on in, in Johannesburg when I promised him that we would give him the best possible care. Um, and the second one was when he died in my arms, I promised him that his life and his death would not be in vain and we would protect his legacy. Um, so we launched a trust uh, called the Footprints for Sam Trust. Um, it took us a while because we, we the first thing that was most important was governance. So we put up an incredibly big governance structure. And um, made sure that Sam's legacy would never be in question because, for me, that's the most important thing. The second thing is we then uh, launched a number of initiatives. These included a vehicle in Cape Town where we, we made sure that parents of terminally and, and, and life-limiting illness kids can get to the hospitals because we saw kids there that were dying and their parents didn't have bus fare 
Um, so we launched this vehicle. It's already operational, and, and we're so proud. It's called the Super Sam vehicle. We also found that parents went home, and very often they'd get home to an empty house, and there would be no food. So we launched an initiative called the Bucket Initiative, where we have a food bucket, a bucket of love, which is just cuddles in a bucket, and then we have um, a bucket of toiletries for the mother and the child that we deliver. We also have um, a support group called SAM, which meets once a month, where we we deal with parents that are have either got terminally ill kids or that have lost kids. Um, and then we do a lot of advocacy work. So we started the Samuel Generation of Healthcare, and we make sure that doctors are engaged in this relationship, that parents are engaged, and that we start understanding that when we're dealing with a child, we're dealing with a community. In our instance, we always say, it takes a, chi- a village to raise a child. In our instance, we say it took a child to raise the village. Regarding the Simon uh, Samuel generation, you reiterated the impor- uh, importance of having the parents involved in the multidisciplinary uh, committee per se. I mean, this is a group of uh, medical personnel, the nurses, whatever. It's like a team that would would have to congregate in a room to discuss um, the what do you call it the the plan forward in getting mm. your son um, the treatment that he needs. Please explain the importance of that because a lot of the medical professionals, I mean, you, 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 you mentioned something that actually uh, made me love your sense of humor. Um, the one instant who I think the pediatrician uh, said to the nurse, um, in a snide remark, um, I don't recall seeing you down the corridors at medical school, which I found very condescending. They, they seem to think that they are the gods and I know, I don't mean that in, in, in disrespect. They seem to think just because they went to medical school for seven years, 12 years, whatever, nobody can tell them otherwise. And I mention this because you were obviously and understandably frustrated at the fact that the first hop- hospital did not want to acknowledge that they were limited and that there was nothing else they could offer Sam. Yeah, I, I think the, the, the important thing to understand is that firstly, as parents, my wife, Melissa, spent every day at Sam's side. She was with him 12 hours a day. She watched him. She knew him better than anybody else. Um, secondly, the nursing staff were with they were the ones that really understood the situation. The doctors very often would arrive for three or four or five minutes, move on to the next patient, and, and that would be it. So what we advocate for is for a multidisciplinary team. Firstly, you're dealing with a human, and that human has got an ailment, but it's also got a heart, and it's got a family, and it's got a soul, and it's got a, it's a little boy growing up, and it needs to be stimulated, and it needs to be, to be loved, and, and, and all of that. Secondly, so, so it's not only about treating the symptom, it's about 
creating an environment within which that child can flourish. It's about all the secondary um, and ancillary uh, things like physio and, and, and neurophysio and, and teaching him to feed and teaching him to, to be a child. Um, and then of course the role of the parent because the, there's no one on earth and I will challenge anyone that knows their child better than a mother. And when you disregard the mother in that process, you are really just losing it out because I don't care how, ma- how many years you spent in medical school. The mother has a connection to that child that on every occasion Melissa knew before anyone else that there was a problem with Sam. Because I remember there was an occasion where you both noticed that he was changing skin color, but one of the nurses didn't even want to acknowledge that in their mind, Sam was still okay. But you as the parents knew your child so well that you could see that he was not okay. And it turns out actually it was life-threatening. It was. In in that particular instance, um, Sam had contracted a a horrible superbug in, in the private hospital. And we were aware and we were saying, and they were saying, look, the temperature is not showing it. This is not showing it. And we were saying, but we can see our boy. And, uh, the net effect of that was he was intubated again. He was, he was progressing so well. He went back into ICU. He went back onto a ventilator and, and we really struggled and he had to be resuscitated again. Um, yeah, so it, it, it was a very difficult time. Sure. Your last lesson, lesson number seven, finding your new true north. You said, with Sam's death, all my hopes and dreams were shattered. I saw no future without Sam, and life became meaningless. Your love, admiration, respect, and appreciation for Melissa is evident throughout the book. There's no doubt this helped you to get back on your feet yeah I I always say the book you know while we were there we were there for 15 and a half months and every day was a challenge it was a misdiagnosis it was a a, a a treatment failure it was a botched operation it was a resuscitation it was a blood transfusion it was it was whatever and we were living you know the phone you 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 just waited for that phone to ring you just you lived there for for that period um and after sam passed you kind of have to look back and make sense and you need to find order and you need to put this into some kind of of uh, where you can make sense of it so the book was really written for me personally um it was written for me to make sense of of what had happened and what I'd learned, and 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 that was really the purpose. So so from there, I, I I gave it to a editor one day to say, look, it's just my little book. I always refer to it as my my heart on a page, and she read it and she said, no, we have to publish this um, because maybe it'll help other people too. Oh, how can we help? Um, how can we? Get involved as society, as human beings, actively involved in all the initiatives and projects that you are pushing forward for Sam's legacy. Well, there's, uh, 
you know, we have. Um, firstly, I'll 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 tell you that the support of of society and and people for what we do gives us strength to do what we do. I have the most amazing wife in the world, and she's turning healthcare upside down. So she's uh, you know so just the support for her. But practically. We have a number of initiatives. Uh, we have the, uh, the vehicle and the vehicle is oversubscribed. So we need to roll out more vehicles and that, that just restores dignity to the family. You know, when a child dies, that the family can just get into a vehicle. They don't have to get into a taxi and drive home and pretend they're okay. Uh, we can take them home with dignity. And we always say it's a special chauffeur-driven service for families. They get treated better than the Queen of England in that vehicle. I love that. Then we have the the, the, um, the bucket initiatives. And, we, we, and the big thing we're driving is a data initiative where we want to be able to put a device in the hand of the family and a device in the hand of the child. I could FaceTime my child. I had data. And in the book, I think you'll read about some of the challenges that some of the families had not being able to make contact. Exactly. Here you are as a terminally ill child and you don't have contact with um, any of the family members. I mean, the story that you mentioned is uh, of a relative in Transkei. But luckily, one of your friends was um, generous enough to fly the uncle to go and visit uh, the nephew who ended up dying two days later. Yeah, we we um, it, it started off with me walking through the ward and this youngster um, shouted, uh, "Sister Booth, I want airtime!" And I thought, you know, being who we are sometimes and 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 not understanding, I thought, what what does this little boy want airtime for? He's in hospital. He should be lying there getting better. And the sister reached into a pocket and gave him money. And I went to her and I said, what was the story? And she said, he has no family. His grandmother brought him from the Eastern Cape to Cape Town. She died in Cape Town. He is alone. He only has an uncle in the Eastern Cape. And he uses airtime to connect. We flew his uncle in. And they asked him to stay for another day. And the little boy passed away. But in the presence of his uncle. Fred, thank you so much for your honesty, for sharing your truth, as difficult as it was, and bearing your soul. I have no doubt Sam is smiling down on you and Melissa for being such incredible parents and him knowing that you did your absolute best. Reading your book, I can tell you as a parent myself, there is nothing else anybody could have expected from you there is not much more you could have offered Sam this show is dedicated to Saint Samuel John Frederick aka Rainbow Warrior aka Madoda aka Sipo Platt my humble opinion after all this is the opinion booth Embrace every moment with your child and realize how blessed you are to have been chosen as a vessel of life. Every parent wants the best for their child. We want to work hard 
to afford the best and that life can offer. But what your child really needs and wants is your time, unconditional love, attention, affection, and dedication. Aspire to inspire before you expire. This is CliffCentral.com.